7 through 10. If you've got your Bible, I invite you to follow along there. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. It says, Make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. Those who plant only for their own benefit will harvest devastation from their selfishness. But those who plant for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not get tired of doing good, because in time, we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So then let's work for the good of all whenever we have an opportunity, especially for those in the household of faith. So that's the scripture we'll look at today, and it is a powerful one, and it's got a great verse in there that says you will harvest what you sow or harvest what you plant. And I'm pretty sure that was one of the earliest scriptures I ever read or remember hearing. Uh, Back then, it was you will sow what you reap and reap what you sow. Uh, but we got the new translation out there for you. But the, uh, it is a powerful principle, and, and here's the great news. Uh, even if you're visiting for the first time today, even if you are not quite a Christian, if you're still thinking about it, uh, that particular truth will have a powerful impact on your life one way or the other. And Paul sets you up. He gives you a great example, and he says, you know how plants work, Right? Right? We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. But, you know, you take a seed, you put it in the earth, you water it, you let the sun shine, and eventually it grows, right? And it says that you, you plant what you want to see happen. If you want to have watermelons, you plant watermelon seeds. If you want apples, you plant the apple seeds, right? And then you wait, you got to have patience, and eventually something great happens. Uh, and when you think about how does that work in your own life, well... It applies in so many ways. If you think about your relationships right now, about how you tend to them, what you want to see happen with them, uh, the same principle plays out. If you are somebody that uh, you look around at your life and you say, you know, I'm not really seeing what I think God wants in my life to happen, then this principle should really help you, okay? And um, when we read through it, you'll, you'll begin to see exactly what I mean. Now, This passage that happens in verse after 7 says this. It says, Make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. A person will harvest what they plant. And it's great wisdom. Um, There's a pastor named Tim Keller, and he said, You could sum up the entire book of Proverbs with that one statement. You will harvest what you plant. In uh, Proverbs, if you've ever read it, it's all about truth and consequences. Your actions are going to result in something happening, either for the good or for the bad of your life, either for the good or for the bad of your community or for your church or for your family. Your actions, your decisions, they will result in something happening. It would be nice if you could somehow do like neutral, you know, if you couldn't do bad or good, if those weren't the two choices. You know, there'd be a lot of people stuck in neutral, right? And uh, what, what Paul points out, he says it produces some kind of harvest. It will result in something happening, right? And if you look at that in terms of your relationships, if you are somebody who is constantly criticizing, uh, condemning, complaining, griping, whining, right? Is that going to have an impact on the relationships in your life? I believe it will. All right. And if you're somebody that's joyful and happy, if you're optimistic, if you're uh, always continuing to encourage people and tell them how much you appreciate them, is that going to have an impact on your relationships? Absolutely. If you're married, I hope you paid attention to that last 
set part, right? You know, it has an impact on how things are going to go. And uh, the other reality is that it, it does have consequences. It will result in something happening one way or the other. How you treat people, how you invest your money, how you spend your time, all of these things are going to contribute to what we have happen to us in the future, right? I know y'all are all looking at me like this is basic, this is normal, but, but brothers and sisters, how many times have you seen people fight this principle, right? I mean, in my own life, if I go home and I eat a half gallon of Rocky Road, if I get my bluebell and I eat an entire half gallon of Rocky Road, I can tell myself that principle doesn't really work, right? I can lie to myself, right? And I could say, somehow, all those calories are not going to contribute to my weight, right? I can lie to myself. I can do that. I could also even, I could say, God, please bless this rocky road that Bluebell hath provided, right? And I can tell myself, you know, Lord, forgive me for about to commit the sin of gluttony. I'm about to indulge. But at the end of the day, it's going to have consequences. And if I want my clothes to fit in the future, then I have some tough choices to make, right? I could either quit eating ice cream, Lord help me, or I could eat less, you know, or less frequently, and just appreciate the fact that, you know, there's going to be consequences to what I do. And over and over again, even though we would all agree it's a simple principle, it's one that we have an easy time getting our head around, you will see people fight this over and over again, not only in terms of it being true, but also you will have people from time to time that go good and well, they're, they're aware that their life needs to change. And so they come and they get before the cross and they ask Jesus for forgiveness, and then they get frustrated that things haven't immediately changed. They look around at their life and they say, why is it that this particular season in my life, the harvest that I am reaping, is not the one filled with rainbows and unicorns that I'd hoped for, right? Why is it I'm still suffering the consequences of something that I did years ago? And you look back at this principle and it says, what, what did you plant back then? What was it that you put in the ground? What was it that you were doing? And that it's going to take time in order for things to change, all right? And just as a quick note to that, you know, have you ever been in a place where you planted one thing and then suddenly, you know, there's weeds that grow up and occasionally a, a random seed falls there and you end up with watermelons in your wildflower plants? Has that ever happened to y'all? Yeah, okay, so you're beginning to see why exactly this matters so much. Um, and so let's look through the passage once more and uh, just be thinking about this in terms of, of your own life. You know, if you're if you look back in the past year and you say, am I more loving than I was last year? Am I more joyful than I was last year? Am I more generous than I was last year? Am I kinder than I was last year? Am I more self-controlled? Uh, look back at that and say, is that what's happening in my life? Or am I getting some kind of different harvest that's happening in my world? And if you can answer yes to all those, then bless you, great. If not, then please pay attention. All right. It says in verse 7, make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. And what is Paul saying? He's saying uh, that no matter how much we wish it, no matter how much we would like magic to happen, uh, the truth of the matter is that we will get the harvest that we plant and that we tend to. It says God will not be mocked. And it's a really uh, strong statement, and it deserves an exclamation point, saying God will not be mocked. And you might look around you and, and say, well, why is it that people that are not Christian, that don't practice the faith, why do they sometimes prosper? 
Why is it that they're getting away with it? Why is it that they're wealthy when people who live a life pleasing to God don't have as much? And what I want to point out to you is the fact that Paul is pointing toward the future, and he's saying, at one point or another, there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of judgment where we will give an account of our lives, what we have done, what we have not done. One of my favorite statements about this particular matter is this. It says, the turkey thinks the farmer is his friend until Thanksgiving. <laughs> right? The turkey thinks the farmer is his friend until Thanksgiving. Right? But even if we think we're getting away with it, even if we're cheating and succeeding, even if we are uh, finding ways to manipulate the situation uh, one way or another, the truth will come out, it will be revealed, and we will find ourselves with whatever it is that we have done, all right? Now, he goes on. Uh, those who plan only for their own benefit will harvest devastation for their selfishness, but those who plan for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. Those who plan only for their own benefit will harvest devastation from their selfishness, but those who plan for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. And what is he pointing out? He's saying that if our life is just about serving our own needs, if we spend all of our money, 100% of our money, and our time, and our effort doing things that bring us alone pleasure, if we are spending our lives that are just uh, fulfilled by gaining the next thing, purchasing the next item, achieving the next thing, uh, the result of that is going to be we might gain the whole world, but we're going to lose our lives. Uh, if you don't think that's true, just ask yourself the question, have I ever met a really wealthy per person that was unhappy? Right? I have. I've met people with large amounts of money that really hated their life. And so this is what exactly what Paul is pointing out. He's saying, if you are living a life where you're, everything that you do is just about yourself, then you're going to bring about your own destruction. You won't enjoy life. You won't be happy. And he goes on to say, but if the reverse is true, if you use your resources, your time, and your effort to benefit other people, you will find great joy. The owner of Domino's Pizza proved this out. He said that at one point, Domino's was hugely successful. The owner of it had made millions of dollars, and he got to a place where he said, you know, I can keep on buying cars. I can keep on buying houses. I can maybe have an island or whatever his goals were. He said, but I just, I'm not happy, I'm not joyful. And so what he did was he went back and he set a budget, and he said, even though I could live far more extravagantly, I'm going to live on this amount. And everything else that I get, I'm going to find a way to make it do great things in the world. I'm going to donate it to charities and to organizations. And he said that was like flipping a switch. That he went from somebody whose life was unfulfilled and unhappy to being somebody who was joyful about what was going on in his life. And work became more than just an end to a means. It became his own mission project of how he could change the world around him by being generous and giving. And exactly what Paul points out in that and he says, um, let's not tire of doing good because in time we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So then let's work for the good of all whenever we have the opportunity, and especially for those in the household of faith. So that is the passage. I think, like I said earlier, it's a pretty easy thing for our head, get our heads around to think about it, but applying it in our life is not always the easiest thing in the world to do. So how do we make use of it? What can we do with this? Well, I thought about it in a number of different ways. 
The first one is that uh, as a church, we have a slogan. We say we want to know God and to make God known, right? Okay. And it's a good thing to have that slogan, to know God, because most of the time when people come to church, one of the things that they say they would like to receive or get out of being part of a church is, is what? They want to know more about God. I mean, it seems so obvious, right? Some people come for the donuts, but most people, <laughs> most people come to know more about God. And what the scripture would point you to is to simply ask the question, are you, are you doing the things that bring you closer to God? Uh, a number of years back, I was talking with a friend of mine who had a, an oil job over in Alaska. He would uh, do one month on at Alaska and then have a month off in Houston. And he came to me one day and he said, you know, Rick, um, at one time, my spiritual life was fantastic. Things were going good. I was really seeing some great things happen in my life. And, and now with this new job, uh, things have begun to diminish. He said, I, I just think I need to switch jobs. And I said, well, maybe that's the case, but let's just look at some basic questions. What are you doing for your prayer time? Nothing. What are you doing for your scripture reading? Nothing. Are you fasting? Nope. Do you attend worship? Nope. Do you, uh, I don't know, look at your Bible app or something? Nope. I said, well, let's just start there. And when you think about your own life, you know, are you more loving than you were last year? Are you more kind than you were last year? A lot of that comes down to the basic questions of, are you spending time with God? Are you sowing those spiritual seeds, as Paul would say? Are you sowing into the Spirit? Are you planting something good right now in the moment? You know, are you daily waking up and, and enjoying God and spending time with God in prayer and reading through your Bible on a regular basis? Are you taking the time to really come to worship God and to spend time with God, right? Are you finding ways that you can serve, you know? And if you answer yes to all those things, then I guarantee you that in the future you're going to reap the great harvest of spiritual growth, of being spiritually stronger than you were, than you are right now. Okay. Uh, the other part of this is that if we look at this particular passage and we say, so that would help us grow in God, if we would spend time and reading the scriptures, if we would pray more often, if we would um, worship more frequently, whatever the case might be, you know, those will help us to know God. And if you're at a place right now and you say, and I would love that, but, but Rick, you just don't know how much I've messed up my life, Right? You don't know the consequences of things that I've done in the past. You don't know how that's showing itself over and over again in my life right now. No matter how much I pray, no matter how much I read the Scripture, it just doesn't seem to go away. I would just say, have faith. Trust in it. Believe in what God is doing in your life right now. And if you've never done any of those things, then start today. When is the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. What's the second best time? Today. Start down that path. Grow in that journey. The other thing I want to point out about this particular verse is what Paul would say, and he would repeat. Uh, you remember that great scripture. He says, so then let's, let's work for the good of all whenever we have the opportunity, and especially for those in the household of faith. So then let's work for the good of all whenever we have an opportunity, and especially for those in the household of faith. And I would summarize that by just saying, do the work of the kingdom, church. Do the work of the kingdom of God. Uh, this past week, I got to meet with uh, a number of people 
from our church about uh, community groups, talking about what they love about the church and, and seeing what they want for the future. And I shared with them that every church I've been in has said about the same thing when I first get there. They all say, we would like to see more people come to church. Over and over again, you know, I don't, I've never had anybody, well, I've had one person say to me, I really don't want more people at church because they would eat my donuts and take up my parking place, right? The rest of the time, they're all in agreement. We would love to see more people in the church. And then I talk with them about, well, to do that, you're going to have to pray for it. You're going to have to do everything you can to be hospitable to other people. And you're going to have to invite people, right? You're going to have to get in there and do the work of the kingdom of God if you want to see great results. I mean, I, I'm with you, man. It would be great if, uh, like going back to the blue belt illustration, if I could just say the prayer and I'd say, Lord, help these calories not to count. Let it not be counted against me. But the reality is, there's something at work in our lives, and we have to do the work of God for the kingdom of God, right? So if you are somebody that is constantly sighing and longing and criticizing and complaining and you're frustrated about how things are going in your church or your community or in your family, I would just ask you to step back and say, how are you contributing to that? What are you doing to make a difference? Right? Okay. The good news. One, if you are at a place where you look around your life and you say, man, the harvest is terrible. It's just rotting on the vine. My, my life is not where I want it to be. Have hope, right? Dream about that. Believe in that. And then look at the other principle that's there. What does it say? It says, we will have an abundant harvest if we'll go about the work and doing that. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, we're too young, we're too old, we don't have the abilities to make a difference. Uh, but what does he point out? He says, even like the, the smallest thing we do can make a tremendous difference in the world that we're a part of. Today, uh, I invited people to bring children's books to donate to the reading program in our community. And uh, my wife and I went on uh, the other day to the bookstore to buy children's books. And do you know that when we got to the register with our stack of books and they had totaled up the amount that the books cost, my wife's jaw just dropped. You know, I could see the look on her face of, how did it cost that much? Any of y'all bought children's books lately? They are unbelievably expensive, right? I guess it's all the ink, right, that makes the hungry caterpillar cost more than other books, right? And uh, we, were, we were looking at that, and, you know, we were like, oh, gosh, that was expensive. But, I mean, think about what could happen, what God could do with that. That not only will Sherry Pierce put that book in the hand of some kid this week, but maybe that will go to another kid, third kid, four kids. How many kids might read that book? Uh, on top of that, I mean, think about the possibility. Maybe that's the book that encourages some kid to read, to become a life learn, lifelong learner and to read daily, and that that kid grows up to become an amazing scientist that fixes something in the world, you know, the cure for cancer, or ends war, or finds a great way to make coffee even better, you know? You know, that, that, that could just be one of the simple ways that, that God uses something that I think is costly, and then God takes it and does something amazingly more with it than I ever imagined. Now, now, brothers and sisters, I just want to be honest with you real quick. And y'all are going to think I'm up to something, but, but here, let's just, let's just be real for a moment. Okay? The average person that goes to a church like ours, this is going to be rough, okay? The average person that goes to a church like ours gives $200 a year to their church. $200 a year. 
One in four gives nothing. Average person gives $200 a year. If they're tithers, that means they're living on $2,000 a year, right? $200 a year. I spend more than that on Netflix, right? Right? Okay. Now, here's what I want to point out to you. If you would take your money, your time, your effort, and invest it in any way you can possibly think of in the kingdom of God, God will multiply that, right? And I hope that you grow in your generosity wherever you are at in terms of giving to the church. I hope that you will do that. But I just want you to see and I want you to know how good God is to tell you that he will take even the smallest of gifts and make a huge difference. Do y'all remember that powerful story in Matthew where Jesus is up there, it's in all four gospels, but in Matthew he's there in front of the thousands of people and he, they're all hungry and the disciples say, well, you know, Jesus, the best decision is just to send them on home, right? And Jesus says, no, you give them food and all of a sudden this little Hebrew kid comes up, he's got his Hebrew meal, his Levitical lunchable, right? Bread and fish. And what does he do? He gives it to Jesus. Jesus takes it. He breaks it. He blesses it. And he hands it to his disciples. And all of a sudden, thousands of people are fed, right? And I don't know about you, but every time I hear that story, I always think to myself, that kid showed up with just a few loaves and a little bit of bread. And then what does the scripture say? That after everybody was fed, there was what? There was leftovers, Right? There was more bread left over than they actually needed. And don't you know, that kid went home to his mom and he said, hey mom, you won't believe what happened. I gave a little bit, I gave what I had, and God sent me home with even more. And here, just to make sure you don't think I'm trying to trick you into giving more money to the church, find a cause that you do believe in, that you do trust in, that you're not afraid about, and be generous to them. Oh my gosh, there are so many great causes in Beaumont. Find one of those. And look at the way that God uses your gifts, your abilities, your smallest gifts, and blesses not only you, but so many others. Right? Okay. Is that just some cold, hard truth on a warm morning? All right. But when I think about that, and I think about the reality of what's going on in your life, not only does it play out in terms of your relationships, your parenting, your uh, many ways that it will happen, but I just pray and ask that you will look at this and consider this because it has made such a huge difference in my life, and I know it's the same for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we may look at our lives and, and still be wondering or concerned about how things are going. Uh, we may be honest and say that our lives are not filled with your love, your joy, your patience, your kindness, your generosity. Uh, and in fact, Lord, we may be confused about how all that could happen. So we pray and ask, Lord, that today you would just plant that seed of hope and promise within our lives. Assure us that no matter what the reality is in our own life, it is not the ultimate one. You have promised us that through your son, Jesus Christ, we can have life, life eternal and life abundant. And so we trust in that as we carefully consider how we're living our lives and what we're doing with what you've given us. Help us, Lord, in the days to come to, to look more and more about what we're sowing our life into, what we're planning, what we're giving, what we're doing, so that we can reap that abundant harvest that you have promised each of us. All these things we pray and ask.